the very beginning, the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. This morning I want to address the pinnacle of God's creation. The very pinnacle of God's creation. So let's take a look at two verses. From Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Genesis 1. May I read for you please? Verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over all the cattle and all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. The pinnacle of God's creation. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are so merciful. You are so kind. You are all-powerful. And Lord, as we explore your power, your mind, your will in your creation of man, challenge us anew and afresh of the unlimited mind of God. Help us to see and understand your purpose in all of your handiwork. Help us to grasp the unfathomable depth of your creative power. Help us to understand how precious man is to God. In Jesus' name, amen. Man is the most exquisite piece, God's masterpiece in creation. Those are the words of Herbert Lockyer in his well-known book, All the Miracles of the Bible. Back in 1984, the, the Institute of Creation Research, we call it ICR, published an article written by Dr. Jerry Bergman. In that article, he shared the following information about man. Let me quote. Mankind has been fascinated with the form and function of the human body from the very beginning. For beauty and sheer simplicity of line, it is unmatched. As a machine, the human body is the pinnacle of God's work, formed on the sixth day and last day of creation, after which God declared it is very good. Chemically, the body is unequaled for complexity. Each one of its 30 trillion cells is a mini chemical factory, which performs over 10,000 chemical functions. And every cell has 10 to the 12th power, or 1 trillion, bits of data, equal to every letter in 10 million books. Each one also replaces itself every seven years. 
Each one is independent, yet it cooperates with many millions of other cells. The body's billions of parts all work together as a team. Its 206 bones provide the framework, and its 639 muscles enable it to move with incredible split-second timing. The strength of the developed human body is phenomenal. Paul Anderson, a devout Christian from Toccoa, Georgia, back in the year 1957, lifted three tons, that's 6,270 pounds of dead weight in a backlift. To this day, it is considered the greatest weight ever lifted by a human being. You can listen to the story of Paul Anderson on the radio show, Unshackled. What many people do not realize is as a child, Paul Anderson suffered from Bright's disease, now known as chronic nephritis, a kidney disorder. And he eventually died from kidney disease at the age of 61. But our body is controlled and coordinated by over 16 billion neurons and 120 trillion connection boxes packed together in an unfathomably complex set of neuropassageways. The system is much like a modern nation, interconnected by billions of telephone wires. And all of this in a brain and a spinal cord that weighs slightly over three pounds. The human brain and nervous system is the most complex arrangement of matter anywhere in the universe. And finally, in every 24-hour period, the average human being swallows 2,000 times. Now, don't start counting that in the midst of this service. Our heart beats over 100,000 times daily to move 168 million miles around our body, and we take about average 24,000 breaths per day to bring 430 cubic feet of air into our lungs. Can there be any doubt, any doubt in your mind that God's creation of man is the crown jewel of his entire creation? I think it's best for us to strive to understand the significance of God's miraculous creation of man. In an effort to do that, I want to consider with you two areas. Man's distinctiveness, that's the bulk of this message. But I want to conclude with man's delight. Let's start with man's distinctiveness, shall we? Man is distinctively different from all other parts of God's creation. And there are two reasons for that. Number one, man is the product of the Trinity, all working together. We're going to study that. But secondly, man is made in the image of God, and that is such a vital, important truth. Let's talk about the product of divine counsel. You and I are the product of divine counsel. We're talking about God communicating with one another. Go back to our text. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and I want to, you to note the beginning of this verse as I emphasize three words. And God said, let who? Us. Make man in who? Our image and after our likeness. You know, it's fascinating. 
to see that before making man, God took a different approach to the rest of entire creation. If you look at Genesis chapter 1 carefully, and we're going to do that, I want to peruse verses 3, 6, 9, 11, 14, 20, and 24, because each of these verses always begins in a similar fashion. Let there be or let the. Notice, verse 3. And God said, let there be. Jump to verse 6. And God said, let there be. Verse 9. And God said, let the. Verse 11. And God said, let the. Verse 14. And God said, let there be. Verse 20. And God said, let the. Now jump to verse 24. And God said, let the. But, when you and I arrive at verse 26, the Bible says, what? And God said, let us. God, speaking to God himself, says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. God's not speaking to angels here, ladies and gentlemen. Because man is not made in the likeness of angels, but in the likeness of very God. And therefore, God could only have been speaking to himself. And it's long been believed that when God said, let us make man, it's a reference to the Holy Trinity. Here we see God the Father God the Son, God the Holy Spirit involved corporately in the creation of man. Now let me show show you the importance of that, the importance of the Trinity's involvement in man's creation. I want to ask you this question. Think with me now. When do we believe God developed his plan of salvation involving sending a Savior from the heavens to come to earth and redeem the souls of lost men and women. When do we believe God did that? Hmm? Well, the Bible gives the answer. Before the foundation of the world. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, the Bible says, Speaking of Jesus Christ, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, speaking of Jesus, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Therefore, from these verses, we can see God's thoughts are focused and were focused on man long before the beginning of what you and I call time. So man is a product of the Father, the Son, as well as the Holy Spirit, working corporately together. Product of divine counsel. But secondly, man was created in the image of God. Go back to verse 26 of our text. 
And God said, let us make man in our what? Image. And after our what? Likeness. Now the Hebrew words here in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, for those two words, image and likeness, are selim and demuth, which are translated in the Latin Vulgate as imagio and similitudo. But selim in the Hebrew seems to be in reference to a fashioned image, a shaped representative figure. You can think of a figurine, the image of something that has a concrete sense. Demuth refers to the idea of a similarity, but more in terms of the ad- abstract as opposed to the ideal. The biblical author wants to make a, it very clear that man in some way is a concrete reflection of Almighty God. But at the same time, he wants to spiritualize this toward abstraction. Now, what does all this mean? I think if you're normal, in other words, if you're like most people, you've heard this concept of man being created in the image of God. But when it comes time to explain that to someone else, that's a little bit difficult, isn't it? Or am I the only one who thinks so? Believe me, it is very challenging to understand And we're never going to fully comprehend this until we're with the Lord. Amen. But it simply means there are things about man that demonstrate the qualities of God. There are things about you, Joel, that reflect back who God is. And that's precious. And that means You're precious. Dear friend, this idea of man being created in the image of God is very significant. There can be little doubt regarding the image of God in man because there are things about man that make him very distinctly different from animals. For example, man has moral consciousness. And that means... You and I can distinguish between good and evil. Dogs don't. Man can understand beauty and emotion, but you never see a hamster in awe of the sunset. Amen? But above all this, man has the ability to worship and love God. And I cherish that. So should you. This must be the most important part of being made in the likeness of God, that I can know God as God knows me. What about the fact that God is spirit? In other words, how can we be made in the image of God if God has no body? Well, remember, this is the only way God can be omnipresent. In other words, present everywhere. The Bible teaches that God is spirit. John chapter 4, verse 24, the Bible says, God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So although God has no material body, he made man's body 
to function physically in ways that God himself can function without a body. You say, Brother Pat, you better explain that. Okay, let's do. See, whether or not God has physical eyes or ears or nose or hands or a mouth, the Bible teaches us that God has senses. He can see. He can hear. God can smell. God can touch. And God has speech. Listen to these texts. Hagar in the wilderness. I love this verse. I cherish this biblical truth. John 16, 13. Thou God seest me. Was a cry of Hagar's heart. The psalmist said of God in Psalm 94 and verse 9. He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? And after the flood, God looked upon the earth and declared in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. And the Lord God smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. Remember when Jacob wrestled with God at night? And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 32, verse 32, because God touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinnoh it shrank. Finally, Peter, referring to the transfiguration of Jesus, said these words, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18, And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. Now in the final analysis, the image of God in which man was created includes the totality of who our God is as a living, intelligent, determining, moral being. It's interesting to note that from the very beginning of time, God knew He would send a Savior in the form of a human body and that this body would be in the likeness of men. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5, Wherefore, when He cometh into the world, He saith, Sacrifice and offering, thou wouldest not but a body. Hast thou prepared me? Or that tremendous passage. Paul's words from Philippians chapter 2 verse 7. Speaking of the Savior. And took upon him Jesus. The form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of man. You know. Man still reveals God's image ladies and gentlemen. Even though. Sin has damaged that image. And that's also vitally important for us to understand biblically. Why? Because some would say man no longer displays the image of God. And that's wrong. And here's why. There's no doubt that Adam's sin damaged the image of God in man, but that damage is not complete. That image was not erased because there are verses after the fall which describe man being in the image of God. And I want to identify those for you. First of all, this is why we have capital punishment and believe as a Christian in capital punishment. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6, the Bible says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for image, in the image of God made he man. That's Genesis 9, 6. 
But let's go to the New Testament. James chapter 3, verse 9, where the Bible says, Therefore bless we God, even the Father, therefore curse we men, which are made in the similitude of God. You know, Paul clearly spoke of man as being in the image of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 7, the Bible says, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he, that's man, is the image and glory of God. You know, from all that evidence, we conclude that the image of God in man was, yea, damaged by sin, but nay, never erased. And that is so critically important because it means all human beings have within themselves some dignity and unique value. Can I declare from this pulpit this morning, you all have value to God. And since every human life has been created according to God's image, every human life becomes sacred, and that's valuable to God. Can you see why Satan would constantly strive to scheme to destroy and attack man knowing that man is made in the image of God? If he can't get to God, then he's going to try and get to you and me. Amen? But you know, man was made to have a relationship with the God he reflects. And man's worth is directly related to his origin. Any view of man's origin, like evolution, that does not view man as the product of God's design and purpose, cannot contribute man's worth as a product of God's design and purpose. Dear friend, God has no plans to indwell animals. He will only indwell that which he has as his image. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 and 20. What? Know ye not? That your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit that are God's. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Let me take a moment to make an application here. Think about the significance of man being created in the image of God for you and me today. Why would this be significant in the year 2020? Well, it has everything to do with the sanctity of human life. You know, we're living in a day when man has no moral compass. Man has no moral standard in which to govern his values. And there are people in the world today who view certain groups of society as less valuable. And you know, this is now percolating to the surface in light of this worldwide pandemic. Because the world has this mentality. It argues that some people in this earth are of less value if they're poor if they're terminally ill, if they're elderly, if they're uneducated, yea, if they're unborn, yea, if they're handicapped. From an article in Newsweek magazine, a woman argued that a severely handicapped man by the name of Henry 
should be just put to sleep in the same way they put to sleep her cat. Brethren, I'm here to tell you, to kill Henry, even out of mercy, would be murder in the eyes of God in the worst degree. You know, as a Christian, we must know where to stand when it comes to the issues of abortion, euthanasia, homosexuality, holy matrimony. Let me testify. Back in December 1989, my wife was out in our front yard in Singapore. She reached up and plucked a couple mangoes out of our tree. And the sap fell right here on her wrist. And within 48 hours, her body was literally engulfed in a raging inferno of contact allergic dermatitis. Big, oozing, open, pussed sores from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. And I rushed her from doctor to doctor. And finally, we got to a Christian doctor, Dr. Go Sing Hing. Dr. Go looked at my wife and said, Mary, that's the worst case of contact allergic dermatitis I've ever seen in all my years of medicine. But not to worry, Patrick. I'll tell you what, we can easily eradicate this with steroids in 48 hours. However, he said, Pat, if your wife's expecting these steroids could produce birth defects. However, Patrick, not to worry. Because if Mary's pregnant, we can always perform a therapeutic abortion as long as she's not past the first trimester. We looked at each other, my wife and I, and at that moment, I want to ask you a question. What if it had been you? What would you have said? What would you have done? My friend, any abortion at any stage is a murder of a human being who is born in the image of God, conceived in the image of God, marked by the image of God. So man's distinctiveness. But let me close with man's delight. Notice chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 18. The Bible says in Genesis 2:18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. And may I read for you very quickly verses 21 to 25. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. I want to offer one simple piece of marriage counsel in closing. By divine design from the very beginning, as this is the book of Genesis, the very book of beginnings, God's plan was that marriage should reflect unity in diversity, unity in diversity. You know, there's so much talk in the world over the course of my adult life about irreconcilable differences in marriage. Irreconcilable differences. 
We need to know one particular aspect of God's plan, ladies and gentlemen, in the creation of Adam and Eve. Adam's mate was to be a very special creation. Because according to what I just read in Genesis 2.18, the end of that verse, God is going to make Adam and help meet. And the best way to understand that title is with the word helper. The fact that Eve was to be Adam's helper does not mean that she was to be inferior or that she was to be a slave. In fact, it was an honor to serve as Adam's helper. Because that's the very same word God uses to describe you and me who know Christ as our Savior. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. God is my helper. In light of the fact that God is viewed as man's helper, I'd consider it a badge of honor. Amen? Now, there are many men who would seek to define the perfect wife with words and thoughts like this. Well, the perfect woman is someone who thinks like me. Someone who likes like what I like. But the simple fact is, God never planned it that way. Many husbands or even wives will say, you know, Pastor, we're simply incompatible. And I respond, I understand. Because your incompatibility is by God's design. My high school debate coach used to look at me and say, Pat, if we both were exactly alike, one of us is not needed. The late Christian counselor, Dwight Hervey Small, said, incompatibility is one of the purposes of marriage. God's appointed conflict and burdens for lessons in our spiritual growth. I think, in the end, it's to bring us to our end. Amen? Dear friends, if husbands and wives were like each other, there'd be no diversity. It's by diversity that God, it's by diversity that God plans to create the unity in our marriage. Eve didn't look like Adam. She didn't think like Adam. But God made Eve to correspond to Adam in every way. Physically, socially, intellectually, spiritually, and emotionally. And when you discover that your mate or mate to be is incompatible to you, you should respond by rejoicing in that diversity. In other words... This ought to be man's delight that you two are different, amen? Your effort to attain unity in that diversity is essential to your healthy marriage. Look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. Genesis 2, 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. That same idea. We find in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, Wherefore they are no more twain, no more two, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Remember this. Marriage is born in the loving heart of God for the blessing and benefit of all mankind. You know, 
What did I call the message? I called it the pinnacle of God's creation. We need to remember that when God originally made man, it was for his glory, because man is made in the image of God. And likewise, after man is redeemed, his greatest desire ought to bring glory to God. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory. And finally, our marriages should reflect God's glory as we accept our differences and strive for the unity. But I wonder if in your life today or maybe in your marriage today, if you're married, you see that there's an area where you're failing to bring God glory. If you find that that's the case with you, can I encourage you to seek the face of God? Why? Because there's an old familiar hymn entitled, He Giveth More Grace. And the words to that chorus of that song go like this. For His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto man. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, He giveth and giveth and giveth again. Do you need that grace today? I do. God is good. We need to thank Him for His goodness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you've been so good. Thank you for the way in which you caused me to marvel at what you've done in creating the world, in creating me. We sang this morning through two different hymns how you lead us and how I cherish that. O Lord, to be like Thee, to love Thee, and know that You love me. Lord, that's my heart's desire for everyone in this auditorium, that they would know You. For Paul said, to know You is life eternal. Spirit of God, speak to our hearts. Challenge us anew and afresh. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me 